Our guest today, one of the greatest money goaltenders of all time, an NHL Hall of Famer, five Stanley Cups, Grant Fuhr, Joe Tilly's great Canadian sports show, coming up! Very excited about today's show. Our special guest was a native of Spruce Grove, Alberta. Top rookie and top goaltender in the Western Hockey League, playing for the Victoria Cougars. Played 19 NHL seasons for the Oilers, Leafs, Sabres, Kings, Blues, and Flames. Owned several NHL records. A six-time All-Star, William Jennings Trophy winner, Vesna Trophy winner. He won two Canada Cup titles. He won five Stanley Cups. He was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2003. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program, Grant Fuhr. Grant, great to have you on. Uh, now, let's talk about, I just finished reading your book. It's it's awesome book, by the way. It was written a, a few years back by you and uh, co-written by Bruce Daubigan. Uh, you, you know, it goes way back in your history and it, you talk about finding out that you were adopted at a very young age. And I wanted to, you know, I got friends that are adopted. Did it help that you uh, found out at such a young age that you were adopted that make a difference for you? I think it made a big difference. I mean, there's a lot of people that go through in life and wonder about different things and being adopted. One of them is your natural parents where I was young enough that the only parents I knew were the parents that adopted me. So it made it a lot easier. I know your, your dad was a big, uh, big sports fan, uh, and, uh, got you into sports at, at a young age, which is helpful for, for a lot of us. I know that for sure. Now, uh, what made you though, decide that you wanted to be a goalie? <laughs> well, the funny part was nobody wanted to play goal and I started on an outdoor rink. So one, it was cold. But I thought the equipment looked pretty cool and tried it on the first time and kind of fell in love with it right out of the gate. So it, goalie from day one right to the bitter end. I remember playing goalie one year in, in minor hockey uh, after reading Johnny Books, Johnny Bauer's little pamphlet that they used to hand out at the gas stations, I think, uh, or whatever it was. And, and uh, you know, he talked about cutting down the angles and studying the, you know, the, the guys coming in at you and learning how to skate backwards and everything else. But I got cold feet playing in goal. Of course, I grew up in Edmonton too, so I know what it's like to uh, to, <laughs> to play outdoors and 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 have frozen feet. Uh, was that ever a problem for you? Oh no, I froze my feet a few times where you'd have to stick them over the hot air register or you stick them in cold water. And yeah, there was a few nights of tears and not very much fun, but yet you couldn't wait to do it again the next day. So. Um, you know, that was it was clear to you in the beginning that you 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 made a decision that you wanted to be an NHL goalie. And, and uh, I think you got support from that for, uh, you know, from your parents, from those around you. What was it within you that made you think, made you believe that uh, you could be uh, an NHL goalie? You know what? I love the game, first and foremost. I think that was the biggest thing. And. It was something I wanted to do, whether I was thought I would ever be able to do it. I wasn't sure, but I had my parents support. I had friends support. I had some teachers that were really good about it. And they've always taught you to reach for your dreams. So it was something I wanted to do and just made a commitment to it. How'd you end up with Victoria Cougars? How'd you end up at Victoria for your junior career? I was lucky enough that a gentleman in Edmonton, actually a guy named Kenny LaRue, scouted me and then asked if I'd come out to training camp and have a look and see if I'd be interested in playing junior out there. So you get to you get to the Cougars and it starts out pretty well for you. You're named the top rookie. And then, uh, you know, you have a couple of fantastic seasons in Victoria. And uh, then your draft year. Um, what, what do you think was the key to you becoming a, a high draft choice in the NHL? probably luck more than anything. I mean, you're just playing. That's the biggest thing. All you can do, all you control is playing. And that's all I did. 
I didn't worry about anything else. I just worried about me playing and having a little bit of fun at the same time. And everything worked out really well. So then your, uh, your draft year, your, the Oilers have the eight, number eight pick and uh, Glenn Sather wasn't really a big fan of, of, of Grant Fuhrer from what I understand and from your, from your book, but, uh, but he listened to his scouts and, and uh, decided to draft you anyway. How did that come about? Well, Glenn saw me play a couple of times and I wasn't very good at the games that he saw. So that was the unfortunate timing by me, but our head scout at that time, Barry Fraser, apparently had watched me a bunch and I played fairly well when he was watching. So he was committed to me and had faith in me and Glenn took a chance and drafted me. So your, your rookie season, uh, they didn't exactly break you into the uh, league gently. Uh, you, 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 you right to the, right to the wolves. You had a 23 game unbeaten streak, which is a rookie record still to this day. It's also an Oilers record. Uh, what do you recall the most about that uh, 23 game streak? Uh, just being fortunate enough to play more than anything. I mean, I had Ronnie Lowe as a partner at that time who was a veteran guy who played in the league and he was there just to help give me some confidence and such. And I just went out and just played. I, you didn't worry about results or anything. You just went out, you played and tried to do as best you could. I know that you, you've always put a, an emphasis on winning. You know, that was where the, the numbers that you've always been more concerned about is, is, is winning. Uh, and how's this for a rookie, uh, rookie campaign? 29, 28 wins, five losses, 14 ties back in the day when we didn't have the overtime and shootout. Uh, five losses in 47 games as a rookie. I mean, uh, where, where did you think your career was going to go from there? I mean, <laughs> that's an incredible start. You know, you're, you're, you got votes for the Calder, you run up, run up for the Calder, you got, you run up for the Vesna, and this is a rookie, an all-star, you know, what, what a way to break into the league. Uh, for being 18 years old, I pretty good way to get things going. But then it all kind of came crashing back to earth the second year, which happens sometimes where you lose a little bit of confidence and I mean, was it great to get my feet underneath me and have a great first year? It was, but at the same time, it's also hard to be good every year. Well, a lot of people talk about the sophomore jinx and I, and I think what, what is it about moving from that first year to the second year that, that changes for most, for a lot of athletes? I think the biggest thing is the guys have seen you now, so they know what you do. You're still learning them and you get off to a little bit of a bad start and, at 19 years old, it's pretty easy to lose your confidence. So I had lost a little bit of confidence. I'd come off a shoulder surgery and just never really got my feet underneath me the second year. So it, it's a learning experience where you realize that you have to change little things every year just so you can stay in the league and have a chance to be good at it. Well, there were some tough times in that second. Well, I mean, you know, Andy Moe comes on the scene. You guys got a good competition going, but, uh, you know, you, you had your struggles and, uh, uh, you know, then there was the the uh, the the miracle on Manchester. Uh, a lot of nasty things happened in that, that second thing to the in that second year to the orders in general. Then you had the incident where you referred to the fans as jerks. Uh, you know, tell us about that and what was going through your mind at the time, and 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 uh, uh, you know your your thoughts on who, who was that Grant Fuhrer at the time that 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 did that. Well, obviously, probably not much good going on in my head at that time. But no, I think it was more, it was frustration more than anything where I got booed a couple of nights at home. And at 19 years old, I hadn't really figured out how to deal with that yet. So we kind of lashed out at the fans. And fortunately, at Edmonton, they're pretty forgiving. So I got away with it. But no, it's just a little bit of being young and immature. Right. Well, you know what helps fans to forget? When, when you win four Stanley Cups in five years. Takes a little sting off it, you know what I mean? But there was that first year against the Islanders, and, and uh, you know, you guys were cruising along. Things were, things were going very well for, for the Oilers, and, and then you ran into the Islanders. And what was it that you learned from that, you know, that in 1983 and that, that Stanley Cup final when you guys got swept? You know what? We were a good hockey team and 
we had a lot of fun playing and such, but maybe we just hadn't quite learned the price you had to pay to be a Stanley Cup champion. So I think getting swept by the Islanders was a wake-up call for us that as good as we were, we still had to be better than that. And everybody kind of bought into that and realized the next year that we were just going to have to be that much better. Well, the, you know, I look at your style and the way you played and, you know, you, you always talked about let the, the, the big numbers that matter are, 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 uh, are the wins. And, uh, you know, the, the, the others play that wide open fire wagon hockey and you were at the back end making the big saves when needed. Were, would you say that you were maybe the, the ideal goalie for that situation for that team? Well, when I played in Victoria, we played a similar style. It was pretty wide open, a little run and gun, and I got a chance to see what it looked like. And the bottom line is you're always taught that you have to win. doesn't matter if it's 9-8. doesn't matter if it's 2-1. The bottom line is winning. And I was never a guy hung up on numbers. It's just you're there to do your job, and if you make one more save than the other guy, that's all that matters. So how you do it, the way you do it, doesn't really much matter. It just has to happen. You know what? And it seemed that Glenn Sather was was on side with that philosophy. And how important would you say Sather was in, in, in uh, your development and your success? You know what? He was a big part of it. I mean, I lost my father early and Glenn was like having a second father. So I, the fun part was he let us grow as a team. He let us grow as individuals and kind of steered us down the right direction. So for me, it was a big part of my career. You know, you, or later on in your career, which was extended uh, because you got yourself in great shape and, and, and uh, you know, your commitment and, and your, your, your intestinal fortitude, really, everything. But uh, one time, your roommate, Kevin McClellan, said you ate six, burgers, six cheeseburgers <laughs> at a time. Not exactly uh, a fitness guru in your early days in Edmonton. Is that, the, is well, that true? The well, I don't know if I had six, but. There's a good possibility I may have had four, (laughs) but no, fitness was not high on my priority at an early age. I mean, I was, how would you put it? I was athletically good, but not a good athlete. I mean, (laughs) I played baseballs and baseball in the summers and rolled right into hockey season. So that was my version of staying in shape was going out and playing another sport which I still think today is important for kids to play a second sport just makes you a more rounded athlete. But as I get older and such, your body breaks down a little bit. And I was lucky enough to spend some time with Bob Kersey who then showed me what a good athlete looks like. So as I got later in my career, I was probably a better athlete than I was when I was young. Yeah, no question. I think that, that, that point was proven later on, but I'm, I'm going to get to what your Blues career, but uh, what was it like to win that first Stanley Cup? I'm, you know, you guys get a chance to, to win that, that Stanley Cup. And I was there in 1984. I was up in the press box at that time. I was working for CFCN Lethbridge, and I got a chance to go in the dressing room afterwards. And what a phenomenal uh experience that was i mean just uh, i've never experienced one of the greatest things what sporting events I've, I've certainly ever ever experienced what was it like i know for you 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 had to sit on the bench to watch it after shutting the islanders out in game one you ended up getting getting injured in that series but that was that was a pivotal moment let's talk about that first of all let's talk about that game one shout at the one the one nothing shutout what did that do for you guys because i know up to that point you would struggle against the islanders i think you were old and over an 11 against him or something like that. Hey, it was some ridiculous number like that. And uh, what was it like? What was the key to that game? And what was it like finally getting over that hump? Well, I think the biggest thing for us was confidence. I mean, the Islanders had basically owned us up until that point. And I think winning that game, everybody said we couldn't play good defense. Well, we went out, we played pretty good defense and we beat them one, nothing. And I, it gave us, the confidence that we knew we could beat them. And I think that kind of opened the floodgates for us. I mean, yes, we got pounded the next night. I think we lost seven, one or something. And, but we still had the confidence that we could beat them. And that's the biggest thing in the playoffs is you have to believe you can beat the team you're playing against. And we'd had a tough time with the Islanders the year before we had a tough time with them during the regular season, but it, we believed that we could beat them and it just proved to ourselves that we could beat them. 
You had a couple additions on that team. Uh, Kevin McClellan was one of them. Uh, who would you say were were the you know two or three most uh, important additions to that team that allowed you to uh, you know to to get past a gritty Islanders team? Well, I think Kevin was a big part of it. I mean, most definitely. I mean, as my roommate, I'm kind of partial to that too. So, but no, I mean, it's our character guys, I and mean, everybody knew we had stars. But it's the character guys, guys like Patty Hughes, Davey Hunter, guys like that. Uh, who would we have that time? Billy Carroll. Just guys like that that people wouldn't really know, but they do all the dirty work. They play the hard minutes, and it's all our character guys that were the big parts of that. You win the second cup, and that, that's the one where, where you got a chance to really shine. And was it better winning the second cup because you're on the ice? Uh, at that particular time instead of being on the bench? No, it's still the same. I mean, winning is winning. So you win as a team, and that's the biggest thing is I enjoyed the first one just as much as I enjoyed the second one. Yeah, I got to play in the second one, and that part's fun. But at the same time, it's still winning, and winning with a great group of guys, and I think that's the most important part. Well, you know, you guys uh, – yeah. you know, following the team and being a, being a, an Edmonton guy and an Oilers fan was was – such a fun run to watch you guys play it. It just seemed at that time that nobody's ever going to beat this Oilers team. Of course, then 1986 comes along and that's the year you lost your father, a uh, very tough year. Uh, and then you guys lost to the, to the flames in the playoffs. And it was that goal by, uh, nobody expected that. It was that uh, own goal basically by Steve Smith. Uh, it was, uh, you know, and then the sports illustrated article came out about the team's cocaine use, all that stuff was happening. Tell us about uh, 86 and how tough that year was. Well, probably 86 might have been one of the hardest years I've ever gone through. So first off, I lose my father. Then we had our own goal, which nobody really expected. Then we went through a few struggles after that. It's just one of those years that, one, it makes you a better person. But two, at the same time, it's a big growing point. And it's either a make or break time. And I think that was the biggest, the hardest part of my life. But at the same time, the best part is that I figured out that I could make it. It didn't break me. And if any year would have broke me, that would have been the one. Well, you you certainly uh, redeemed yourselves, all of you guys, in, in 1987, coming back to win to win the Cup. But... <laughs> I want to talk about 80, uh, 87 because it was such a great year for you. You had the, you know, the, uh, the, the cup title, um, you know, then you had the Canada cup title. I mean, what a, what a sensational uh, year that was, but you know, you're the, you know, you had all these breakaways, all these, you had to face all these breakaways all the time because that's the kind of style the orders played. You know, they, they, the idea was they would outscore you. Yeah, you're going to get your chances. Yeah, but, but they're going to outscore you. And the, one of the reasons they're going to be able to outscore you is because they got Grant Fear sitting back there. And I don't know if there's anybody in history who ever faced more breakaways. <laughs> is, is there anybody, can you imagine, can you just think off the top of your head, anybody who might have faced more breakaways than you did? Um, off the top of my head, no. I mean, it, it's just the style we played. That was the fun part is we were going to give up some chances, but that meant if you were getting chances that we were getting chances and we just assumed that our talent was better than your talent. And it was a good assumption, I think, wasn't it? So here's what some a couple of your teammates had to say uh, after you were named one of the top 100 players of all time. Let's have a listen. He was a perfect goalie and temperament for us. Wasn't worried about statistics, didn't care about goals against, didn't care about anything other than winning. We came in after the second period and we were down 4 2. It didn't matter to who. You'd look around the room and say, guys, they're not getting any more. So my eyes would go, bing, and we go win the game 7 4. So that was your message in the dressing room. Don't worry about it, guys, they're not getting any more. Was, was, he, was he right on? You knew that? I don't know if I knew it, but I believed it. So, and that's the biggest thing is you have to have your teammates believe in you. So whether it's salesmanship, whatever it is, that's the key is if they believe that, then we still freewheel and play a little bit differently. And 
fortunately for us, we ended up winning a lot of hockey games that way. So let's talk a little bit about the, the, the 87 Canada cup. Would you say that maybe that was the best hockey ever played? You know, it's the most, some of the most enjoyable. And I'm, a lot of people don't like six, five games. To me, it doesn't matter. It was a lot of fun to play in. I mean, yeah. Would you like to give up less goals? Yeah, you would. But at the same time, you're playing against the best players in the world. And I think that's what everybody wants to do. One, I get to play with the best players. Two, you're playing against the best players. So it's the most elite group of players that there was in hockey at that time. And the fact that I got the opportunity to play and we won just makes it that much more special. You know, the Russian team was unbelievable, right? And you guys you guys had to really dig down deep to, to beat those guys. But before that happened, uh, you know, Mike Keenan had to make a decision on goaltending. He's got his guy, Ron Hextall. Were you surprised that he chose you over, over Hextall, who had won the Beza? Yeah, a little, yeah, you know what? Yeah. A little surprised. But at the same time, we're both there competing for the same job. So that's all you can do is compete and let the chips fall where they may. So before that, uh, that game winner by, by Lemieux, uh, you, you were forced to make a, a few important saves. What do you remember about that sequence of events? I remember the goal more than the saves, <laughs> but no, I mean, you're there to make that the one save that matters. And fortunately I was able to do that. And when you've got three of the best players in the world on your side, at some point they're going to go down and score goals. So I mean, it worked out perfectly for us. Uh, what was it like watching? Uh, I mean, you had the best seat in the house watching uh, Gretzky Lemieux. I think, uh, was it uh, Howard Chuck on the ice? I know, I think uh, Larry Murphy, who, who was all out there watching that play trends. Uh, what were you feeling when you watched that, that play unfold? Uh, you know what? My whole career, I feel pretty fortunate. I had the best seat in the house to watch the best player in the game. So you're kind of spoiled in that sense. But then you add a guy like Mario in, you get a chance to play with a guy like Dale Howard Chuck. I mean, we had who else? We had Koff, Ray Bork. We had so much talent that it's fun. Just, I think the most fun was practicing with them. Just to get out with the best guys in the world and practice with them. It doesn't, it can't help but make you better. And then to see everybody in a clutch moment like that perform is even more fun. So heading out of that 87 Canada Cup, the 87-88 season, great year for you. You won your Vesna Trophy, uh, and uh, you had made some spectacular saves. Do you remember this one here? <laughs> uh, every now and then you got to get a little bit lucky. <laughs> Look at this. Is that your best save ever or what? Um, that might be one of them. We had a couple where we were kind of just throw yourself across and hope. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. So uh, the, uh, that 88 season, was that your best? Yeah, I think so. I, mean, I think with Canada Cup and everything in it, I think I played 103 games. So, uh, yeah, I think as an overall body of work, that was probably my best year. So you guys went for the, the Cup for the fourth time. It seems to me like, uh, you know, as an other fan, this is great. This is probably never going to end. I mean, it's, it's great. And then in the offseason, uh, you guys are whacked with that, uh, with that trade. And, and, and what, tell, what, uh, what were your thoughts when that had transpired? What, what went through your mind when you heard the news? Well, I think like everybody, we were shocked. I mean, one, you never thought Wayne had ever be traded. I mean, I don't think anybody ever thought, I thought we'd, he'd be there for life. But once they traded Wayne, then it's kind of a regroup. But at the same time, I think everybody was a little shell-shocked at the news and what happened. So it, it was a chance for us to refocus and we had to figure out what was coming next. Well, it's it was tough to regroup for that for sure. But, uh, you know, I know Gretzky referred to you as the greatest goalie in all time of all time. So I know you guys had, had a good relationship for, so, you know, having watching him go, that must be, you know, heartbreaking. And, and, uh, you know, uh, I remember at the time I was, you know, being so angry at 
Pocklington for for uh, for allowing the, his businesses to get in the way of, of uh, you know failed businesses to get in the way of his hockey team and what happened as a result of that. Um, what did uh, what did what went through? Like what did how did you decide that you're going to uh, you know uh, did you did you think that you guys had had lost it? Had, did you think that maybe this is it for you guys? No, I mean we still had a lot of good players and we still had a great leader and mess. And I think that's the other thing is we were spoiled over the years. We had Mess and Gretz as leaders. So when they traded Wayne, we still had Mess. So we still had probably one of the ultimate best leaders in the game. And it was a matter of we had to prove to people that we were still a good hockey team. Then after the, uh, you know, you guys came back and won the, uh, the, the cup again in 1990. But now at that point, Bill Ranford is, is, is the guy who's become the number one. And, uh, then you get suspended for uh, for admitting to cocaine use, and uh, you know how did you realize that you had a problem? First of all, it was just a personal realization that I had to change some things in my life, and what I get suspended in '89. So it was a matter of just a reevaluation of where I was at in life, and that it wasn't a road that I wanted to go any further down. So we had to do what we had to do. I mean, you go to rehab, you get things looked after and you make yourself a better person and you grow from it and you learn from it. So for me, it was a learning process and I seem to take the road less traveled where not everything is right. And I went to the school of life and sometimes you make good choices. Sometimes you make bad choices. And at that point in my life, I'd made a bad choice and, you have to fix it. Well, uh, I, somebody who has been sober for 30 years, I can relate. Uh, I went to rehab and things changed in my life too. So I know what that, that that's all about. Um, they, but by the time the, the, it was such a weird scenario for you. I mean, by the time the, uh, uh, the suspension was came around, came about by that time, you're already sober. Uh, you know, you've already worked, uh, you know, got to on, you know, cleaning up your life and getting, getting your act together. And, uh, but the NHL at that particular time, they left you on an Island, man. I mean, you were just, uh, no support from the, from the league. They suspend you. And as you are well aware and, and addicts and alcoholics were aware is that like the worst thing you could do to an addict or alcoholic is, is isolate them and, and, and single them out and leave them on an Island like that. I mean, we need, we need to have, you know, be, be part of something, be communicating with others. And, and, and so, uh, how hard was that for you? And, and, and the way that the NHL handled it. I can honestly say the league wasn't a big help in anything, but my teammates were, I mean, I saw my teammates every day. I talked to them every day and I talked to Glenn Sather every day. So they didn't leave me on the Island. They were there for as much support as I needed. And that was a big part of what got me through everything. I mean, the league at that time was built to punish. It wasn't built to help anybody. So, I, unfortunately, well, fortunately now, the league's changed and they're there to help the players. I and mean, I'm not sure the trust factor's there yet, but at the same time, at least they're there to help. So, if something good came out of that, is they brought in a new policy after I was suspended. So, there's some good that comes out of all bad. Right. And I know you've been very, very helpful to uh, to other hockey players i know you reached out to Kerry price when he was going through what he went through and uh um how has your life changed as a result of, of being sober like what was grant fear before and after after you know becoming clean but you know what i was pretty carefree and happy as a young guy and now i'm pretty carefree and happy as an old guy so i couldn't ask mm -hmm. for a better life right now I, i've got a great family i've got great kids and I couldn't ask for more. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. The one thing in, at the end of the day in life you have is family. And I've got a great family. I've got a very supportive wife. And that's all you can ask for. I, I wake up every day blessed and happy. Which is pretty awesome uh, compared to where, where we were at one point, right? So um, the uh, the owners come back and win the Stanley Cup. But then, you know, things go south uh, for the for you and the team. And uh, I think it seems to me like the orders at that particular time decided that perhaps uh, Grant Fear was done. Uh, and so they, they, they dealt you out of uh, 
out of Edmonton to Toronto. And uh, we have actually a clip from Cliff Fletcher uh, after the deal was made to Toronto. We gave up some young players. Uh, we made a calculated determination that we can replace that youth down the road because our long-term goal uh, hasn't changed whatsoever. So, and I know you had your moments with in, in the blue and white, uh, but what was it like to coming to Toronto uh, to play in basically the mecca of hockey? Oh, you know what? As a little kid, I grew up a Leaf fan. I think the first jersey I ever got was a Leaf jersey. And I sat and watched Hockey Night in Canada with my dad and all the games out west were Toronto. So if I couldn't play in Edmonton, the second best place that I wanted to play was Toronto. So the fact that I got dealt to the Leafs and to be able to play for the Leafs was actually a big thrill for me. Unfortunately, that particular time, the Leafs weren't quite ready yet uh, and, and they were getting close. What were your thoughts about the team at that time? I knew going in, it was kind of a rebuild. So it's something that I hadn't experienced before, but at the same time, it's, I'd never been traded before either. So there was a lot of new experiences going on and I enjoyed my time. It was fun to play in Maple Leaf Gardens. It's fun to play in front of the Leaf fans. So I enjoyed my time there. Well, after the, uh, you know, a, a short period of time in Toronto, you were dealt to Buffalo and, and in your book, uh, you talk about, um, an eye-opening experience when it comes to, to racism uh, in Buffalo. Um, tell us about uh, your your experience with 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 that. Well, you know, it was the first time I'd ever experienced it. I mean, growing up in Canada, you were a hockey player first and foremost, and then in Buffalo, I'd gone to join a golf club and was denied based on race, which is the first time I had ever seen that. So for me, it was an eye-opener. I mean, I was pretty fortunate my first, oh, what, 11, 12 years in the league that I'd never, ever witnessed it. So that was the first time I'd witnessed it. And it was something new to deal with. But at the same time, by then I'd learned that you just move on. And if you, they don't want you there, then you just, you don't deal with them. You move to where you're wanted. Well, there was a, you know, you and, you and Dominic Hasek uh, working together in Buffalo, uh, Hasek was uh, an amazing goalie in his own right. Uh, tell us about that that unique goaltending tandem and what it was like to uh, to work with Hasek and for the Sabers and your experience there with uh, you know Cherry Mean making the deal to get you and you know what I had a great time in Buffalo and Dom was fun to play with. I mean that was the great thing is I had known Dom a little bit from the Canada Cup and you knew how good he was. He just hadn't had a chance to show it yet. So the fact that I got a chance to play with him, I got to see it every day. I mean, he's the ultimate competitor in practice. We both thought the same way where you didn't want pucks to go in your net, whether it was practice, whether you were fooling around, whatever it was. So it, it was fun to play with Dom and it was fun to be competitive with Dom. Well, after Buffalo, uh, you got a chance to join your old pal, Wayne Gretzky in LA, a brief stop in LA. Uh, you know, things weren't going very well. Uh, you know, it, it seemed like the Leafs didn't, uh, traded you and then Buffalo tra traded you, got rid of you. And then L.A., short period then. And it seemed like nobody had any faith in, in Grand Fuhrer, except for a guy named Mike Keenan. Uh, and I, I think he had a conversation with Gretzky and uh, said, do you think this guy still has what it takes to play in the NHL? And by, by this time, you wouldn't got a, he, he wouldn't got a, got a lot of support from from people who would said, nah, I think, think Grant's, you know, past his prime and not much left. But what was it that Mike Keenan saw in, in, in an aging Grant Fuhrer, an elderly Grant Fuhrer? My old Grant Fuhrer, that's for sure. <laughs> but no, my start in LA wasn't very good, but the last, oh, probably three or four games I played in LA, I played like I feel, felt like I still could. And it gave me belief that I still had it. And Mike was good enough to reach out that summer and asked if I'd be interesting to come to St. Louis. And it looked like a good opportunity to me. So we, I didn't, I hadn't caught the news that he traded Curtis Joseph. So one way walked into a little bit of a hornet's nest because he just won the most popular player. So it was an interesting start in St. Louis. 
Well, I guess you had something to prove, didn't you? And 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 uh, you talked earlier about was it Bob Keyser, the uh, trainer, oh, Kersey. the Kersey, yeah, yeah. So Bob, uh, he, Bobby Kersey. yeah, he, right, he had a lot to do with with you changing some habits and getting yourself in in the shape, didn't he? He did. I mean, I was about thirty four at the time, I believe, and it was just a different way of training. I mean, he'd always lifted weights, this that. Whereas Bobby was more into stretching and doing things to keep my body pliable as I got older. And it, he was a big part of me being able to play every day. The, uh, I mean, did you, did you believe that you still had any, I mean, what was coming was, was totally unexpected. I think from everybody, I, I think even Mike Keenan had to be pleasantly surprised, obviously, but you know, for you to play in 79 games for the Blues, 76 games in a row, which are both NHL records. Uh, did, did you see any of that coming? I, don't, I didn't see playing that much. I mean, I, I knew in my heart I could still play. I mean, did I think I could still play 79 games in a year? That I didn't know. But at the same time, working with Bobby, we managed to get the body to where I felt like I could play every day. and. A lot of playing every day is a mental set. And I knew the mind was still strong. It was just a matter of whether the body would allow it or not. Well, you know, you had the knee problems. You had the shoulder problems uh, 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 through your career. And uh, we got some video of you uh, in a, from a wild night in St. Louis. Uh, uh, you ended up squaring off with uh, Nikolai Habibulin. Uh, what do you remember about this night? Obviously, you weren't afraid of getting injured. <laughs> No, we're never really worried about getting injured. And the funny part is, Happy and I are good friends. So it was, it's just one of those things in hockey where you have to stick up for your teammates. And if the other goalie is going to jump in, then you just have to be a part of that. I mean, it's all part of supporting your teammates. Well, this seemed to be becoming a thing here with you in St. Louis. Another brawl. Now, this time you're going to get into it with Patrick Waugh. Uh, did you... Uh, did you feel you got a little feistier in, in your old age? Well, I don't know if I get any feistier. It seems that teams used to end up in more brawls. I mean, in Edmonton, we had five or six tough guys, and teams really didn't want to brawl with us, whereas some of the other teams, it seemed to happen a little more often. But at the same time, we were having fun, so that's all that mattered. Okay, so you got uh, Bobby Kersey working with you. You're back in, phys in tremendous physical shape, but you're you're playing 79 games in a season. Did you ever have to, did you ever say to Keenan, "No, hey, Mike, we need to back off here." I mean, did you ever did you ever think that or say that? No, I mean, you prepare to play every day anyway. So, I mean, I prepared to play, and if you wanted me to play, I played. I mean, that's the way it is. It's a mindset that you have to prepare every day and. You look at teams now where they're worried about load management. Well, load management comes in practice. And if I needed a day off in practice, Mike was really good about giving me a day off in practice so that you could play in the games. And I think that's where the management comes in is you have to watch your goalies in practice and see. I know when I was coaching, I had Curtis Joseph his last year. And you watch how he's, where it's going in practice. And if he needs time off, you give him time off in practice, not in games. Well, you know, the Blues had a real nice run that year. You played a lot of hockey, and uh, a lot of people believed that you had you guys had the pieces to win it all. And uh, it looked like you might be headed in that direction until uh, you get hit by Nick Kiprios um, in, in that game, in that playoff game against the Leafs. So tell us, uh, was that? Uh, do you think there was any malice in that? I know Keenan, I believe he's still upset about that. Uh, you know what happens is, in the playoffs, people fall on you. It happens all the time. And it just happened to be the one time that I had my leg stuck in a bad spot underneath me. And we ripped up a knee pretty good. Well, I think it was a torn ACL, MCL, and meniscus. So that's about as bad as you can get your knee torn up. And, and uh, But how hard it was it to leave that, you know, leave that scenario? And do you think, that maybe you guys have missed out on a, you missed an opportunity at, at that sixth Stanley Cup there. So I think so. I mean, I think we had all the pieces where we could have won another cup. We had a good defense. We had great centers, good wingers, good support players. So 
Yeah. Do I think that's a team that could have won a cup? I do. I think that could have been the first cup in St. Louis. So your Leafs, uh, your Leafs are your team growing up. Uh, you get that situation with, uh, with Kiprios and then, uh, it wasn't the only time that a Maple Leaf uh, did some damage to Grant Fuhrer. We have another clip here from uh, Matt Sandin, Vic Roll that. Do you remember this shot? Yeah, sometimes you stop pucks with your face. It's not very much fun, but it happens. <laughs> so were you out cold? Oh, maybe for a second, but yeah. it's, it's one of those things. I Funny part is I was a new mask and it had a gold cage and it's the first time I'd worn it. So apparently it was a pretty good target. Oh my God. That was a, that was a blast and a half. Yeah. Cause Sunday could shoot pretty good. Um, so then you're after, after you leave St. Louis, you had one more kick at the, at the can with the, with the flames. Uh, what was it like uh, suiting up for the evil empire? <laughs> you know what? It was different. Right. For me, it was a good way to close out my career. My mom was from Calgary. So to finish my career there, one, I was back in Alberta, which was nice. I just wish I had a little bit more in the tank at that time. I mean, the body had pretty much given up the ghost by that time. And I enjoyed playing for Brian Sutter. I think that was the one reason that I went to Calgary and finished playing is I had the ultimate respect for Brian as a player, as a coach. And I talked to him before I went to Calgary. And it was something that I wanted to do to finish my career. The, uh, the so the career comes to an end. Uh, you, you you retire as a flame, but of course you're an oiler. You know everybody remembers you and as an oiler, and uh, and that's uh, when you when you retired. The Oilers retired your jersey, and that was quite quite uh, you know a, a scene. I mean, here you are. You're you're dressed up in your goaltending outfit, and I mean you started the all this in the, in the crease of the goal. And, you know, uh, it was really quite an emotional, a really great celebration. And, and uh, who is who were the, who was the mastermind behind that, all of this happening? Cause it was really well done. Uh, you know what? Donnie Metz is the mastermind behind it all. I mean, he's created all the different ceremonies for all the guys that have had their numbers retired. He's always got some great ideas and it's when he puts things together, it's always first class and it's always top notch. So it was, it was actually pretty cool, especially growing up there. What's it like to see your number going up to the Raptors like that? Uh, you know what? It's pretty cool. It's not something you ever expect. So I think that's the fun part is it's, you never expect that you play the game because you love the game. And the fact that that happened is just a bonus to all that. You, you can see the emotion in your face. It was such a, such a, a cool moment. And, and uh, Really a great, a great opportunity to reconnect with the fans and, 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 and just to be there. Um, so in your Hall of Fame induction speech, you talked about how your family had to take a back seat to, uh, to, your, uh, to the game of hockey. And, and, and I'll go on through it. Tell, tell, us, tell us a little bit about that. So as a professional hockey player, to be successful, your family's in the dressing room. We spend more time with the guys than you do with your own families. So to be successful and to have that commitment, you're going to spend more time at the rink. You're going to spend more time with the guys than you really do your family. And they kind of get put on the back burner, which is the, un- that's the sad part of professional sport, but it's also the reality of professional sport that to be committed and to be successful, you've got to give hundred percent commitment to the game, both mentally and physically. So the families kind of get shoveled under the, the backside of that. You uh, mentioned in your speech as well that you, you give credit to Willie O'Ree and others who paved the way to make, make it possible for, for, for you to be in the NHL and then, of course, be inducted. But you were also the inspiration for, for many up-and-coming black players. Joe McGinley, who also grew up in the, in the uh, Edmonton area, he was on the show not long ago. He talked about your influence at his Hockey Hall of Fame induction and, uh, and diversity, hockey when, when, diversity in hockey when, when we had him on the show. Let's rule that, Vic. It's important for me tonight to, to thank Hall of Famer Grant Fuhr. Grant was one of my idols growing up in St. Albert, just outside Edmonton, and I was thrilled to play with him in Calgary at the end of his career. I also want to acknowledge Grant and the recent inductee, the amazing Will Ree, and guys like Claude Vilgrain and Tony McKegney, 
and Herb Carnegie for breaking racial barriers in hockey. Being a young black hockey player, it was important for me to see other black players in the NHL. In my first year of hockey as a seven-year-old, a kid came up to me and said, why are you playing hockey? Over the years, I would hear, what are your chances of playing in the NHL? There's not many black players. I hear other stuff. Luckily, there was only a few. And I know it's thanks to guys like Grant and Willie who made me know that my dream of playing the NHL was attainable. When I first broke in, like I say, I was lucky that it came in a time where they were starting to put a focus on it, where it wasn't going to be acceptable. And my time in the NHL, I didn't have uh, um, many, many stories. Uh, you know, my teammates treated me very well. And, and uh, um, you know, I know that guys before me didn't have as easy as I had it and, and had more issues. And even still in, in places, there's, there's issues that, kids shouldn't have to deal with and there should, you know, racism and, um, but so I, there's still room for improvement and they're still working away at it, but it's a great game. And also a locker room of a hockey locker room is, is made up of, of so many different nationalities from around the world. And it's part of what makes it special. Is that, was that your experience too, Grant? Is that, uh, you know, the game was special in, in, in a lot of ways and, and, uh, you know, that you didn't experience. It sounds like you and neither you nor Jerome experienced a lot in terms of, uh, you know, the racial issues. No, I mean, we were pretty fortunate playing growing up in Canada and playing in Canada where you, you don't see a lot of it. And the fact that in Edmonton, when I played, we had different nationalities there. We had Czechs, Finns. So it was a diverse locker room. And we were taught right from the beginning that it's family. So there's no colors in family. It's just family. And that's the way we were treated. That's the way we treated it. And that's the way we were brought up. So for me, it made it a lot easier. And some of the guys like Willie, Val James, Mike Barson, uh, Bill Riley, guys like that had to go through a much tougher time where I think I was pretty fortunate where I walked in to a great locker room, one, and a really talented locker room. So that's all anybody saw is that we were winning. and being a goalie you're behind a mask so that probably helped a little bit as well the nhl has uh, done a lot in terms of trying to improve in, in in terms of diversity with more you know blacks in in uh, you know mike rears with with the sharks i mean there's more blacks in management positions and stuff like that is the nhl doing enough i think it's getting better and better i mean i've done some stuff with the diversity program where they've reached out to some kids in different areas that would not necessarily get a chance to play hockey. I know here in the Coachella Valley with the American Hockey League team here, we've reached out to some areas that wouldn't would probably never, ever play hockey. But now that we've got the rink here and such, kids are excited about it. This summer, Shannon Miller got them into playing street hockey where they figured they might get four or 500. They end up getting 5,000. So it's a big part of the game is getting it to kids that may never, ever have that chance. Start with street hockey, then you get them on the ice, and as the game grows, it's better and better for the game. Nothing like a good game of road hockey. Car. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> uh, so you, you touched on on uh, Coachella. Tell us about your new gig because uh, we were talking about it briefly before we we started the show. Yeah, so I've. Got talked into doing a little bit of TV where I'm going to do pregame show, intermissions, postgame show. And then during the games, I'm doing color for the hockey club here. So nights we're not on TV, I do it on radio and we're having a lot of fun with it. Okay. Tell us about the team. I know you're a farm, you guys are an AHL farm team. We are a Seattle's farm team. And I mean, because the building wasn't quite ready yet, we started on the road with 22 straight on the road. And the guys right now are tied for first place in the American Hockey League. So in spite of having to start on the road, it's been a pretty successful hockey team. They've done a great job here. Steve Fraser, Troy Bodie, the ownership group have done a really good job of putting a great hockey team together. Sounds like the Kraken are a pretty good organization. I mean, look what they've done in a very short period of time. They are. I mean, they're building it the right way. We've got some good young players that are coming up. And, and they had a tough year last year in the NHL. but if you look at them this year, they've made great progress. So, and that's all you want. You want progress every year in building a good team. And Ronnie Francis has done that. Uh, how's the golf game? 
Are you getting a chance to play uh, despite the uh, TV? I'm sure you are. <laughs> I'll always sneak my golf in. I managed to sneak in when I was playing, so I'll sneak it in here still. Right, right. Sneak it in when you're playing. I think you played, uh, you know, 18 or 36 holes during a playoff during the playoffs. So uh, I mean, I know you can always sneak a game of golf in here or there. Uh, how? Uh, what's the handicap now? Uh, what's the index? I think I looked at it this morning. I think it's uh, the index is 0. 0.1. So we're, we're still getting it around. <laughs> Man, that's that's sensational. Well, I'll tell you, if you're ever uh, in, in Mexico or in, uh, back in Toronto again, let me know in the summertime and we'll, we'll hook up for a game of golf. I'd love to get you out there, Grant. And, and maybe you could teach me a few things just by watching you. Wow. That's, that's incredible. 0.1. <laughs> yeah, we get lucky some days. Yeah. Well, thanks buddy. I, I real I want to say, uh, once again, the book is called, uh, Grant Fuhrer, the story of a hockey legend, uh, written, co-written by Bruce Dalbig. And how's Bruce doing by the way? Bruce's doing good. I, mean, I still message him once in a while on Facebook or Twitter or the new social media way of getting in touch with people. So he's still doing good. Right. Okay. Well, listen, thanks for taking the time to join us. And uh, it's been great having you on, Grant. You have always been one of my favorites. Thank you. It's my pleasure, Joe. All right. More sports when we come back. Addiction Rehab Toronto, Toronto's number one alcohol and drug treatment center, saving lives, reuniting families. The only treatment center in the province to offer medical detox, treatment, sober living, and lifetime aftercare all in one place. Our unique and specialized programs are designed to equip our clients with the tools to successfully lead a life of dignity, respect, and purpose. Let us help save your life or your loved one's life Call today for more information or to facilitate an intervention. 1-855-787-2424 or visit addictionrehabtoronto.ca. Joe Tilly Sports is brought to you by COSA, Central Ontario Standard Bread Association, providing a united voice for harness horse people racing at Ontario tracks. Check out your benefits today at CosaOnline.com and check out Cosa TV on Facebook and YouTube for all the latest harness news and live action updates. Live racing year-round. Go to HPIBet.com for all your wagering options. Become a member today and your first bet is free. That's HPIBet.com. Visit moregolf.ca. You'll find everything a golfer could need from balls, gloves, clubs, custom fitting opportunities, training gear, valuable accessories, and some great deals. Looking for that perfect gift idea for the golfer in your life? Go to moregolf.ca today. All right, my COSA Swiss pick of the week. Last time out, I took Bettina Hanover in Thursday night's seventh race for Philly Trotters. Unfortunately, she was a late scratch. Hope she's okay. Dealing with Dewey took the lead from Jigan Jondas heading into the final turn. A few horses broke stride, and Majestic J was able to regroup for driver Tyler Jones, trained by Benoit Bayarjan. The 7310 trifecta returned $648. Not too bad. This week, let's go with Thursday night's fourth of Mohawk, a Philly and Mare Trot. And I'm liking the eight horse, Matt's MVP with James McDonald driving. And let's go with the five, eight, nine exacta and trifecta box. Good luck for all the racing updates. Visit Cosa TV on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Go to hpibet.com for your wagering options. This is the Excellent Sports Adventure. Brought to you by Lycom. Well, what can you say about that quarterfinal between Canada and Slovakia at the World Juniors? Absolutely amazing. Edge of your seat stuff. Amazing game. Ended in spectacular fashion by an emerging superstar, Connor Bedard, in overtime. Weaves his way through everybody. Deeks to the backhand. His second goal of the night. Bedard has set a record for most points and goals at the World Juniors 
and he certainly wrapped this one up in style as Canada reaches the Final Four. Was this a Stanley Cup final preview? Possibly. Leafs in Denver to face the defending champs. Mitch Marner gets the party started New Year's Eve. Takes the feed from Callie Yarncroft. Picks the corner, his 14th of the season, a power play. Austin Matthews gives to John Tavares. He gets it over to Michael Bunting. Game winner, two goals for the Scarborough kid. Leafs close the road trip by spanking the abs 6-2. to two. Matt Murray with 26 saves. Great all-round effort. It's a great game all around, and I thought uh, the guys did a really good job defending against a really dangerous uh, team with a ton of speed. They did a great job uh, slowing them up through the neutral zone. That's a key factor against them. So, uh, again, I thought the whole team did great tonight. There was a lot of good things in the game. We got contributions from all four lines, all six defensemen. We got saves from, from Murr when we needed them there, when they had some of their flurries. So, yeah, it's a good, like I said, it's a good way to close out, you know, what... It feels like a, a real long road trip here. Even though it hasn't been that long, it feels long with the distance we traveled and and uh, the you know, three real late flights to get in each city. So it's been a challenge that way, and, and I like the way the guys got it done to me. Oilers making a move in that NHL Pacific division, and it has plenty to do with the kid from Newmarket, Connor McDavid, steals. He's going to bury his league-leading 30-second goal, a five-point night, and a big win over a surprisingly strong Kraken club. That's without Leon Dreisaitl. Now, the owners thought they might get another big win against the Jets, but Neil Pionk's point shot is tipped by Kyle Connor. Winnipeg ekes out a 2-1 win. Connor Hellebuck was absolutely incredible in that game. Brittany Howard of the Toronto Six is a player of the month for December for the Premier Hockey Federation. Howard had five goals and three assists in four games, cleaning up in front here against the Buffalo Riverworks. Another Toronto win as they improved to 7-1 and 2 on the year. The Six are in Montreal this weekend for a pair of games. Playoffs or lottery? That's what the Raptors will be looking at this springtime. Home to the Suns, a solid team. Gary Trent Jr. takes the dish. Trent Jr. steps back, puts it up for three. And the harm, he had a season-high 35 points late in the game. Siakam, the player of the week, kicks it out to Scotty Barnes. Barnes hits a triple, wraps, stink, sink the Suns, 113-104. to 104. Trent Jr. at a 32 points. In the Raps' next game at Indiana, but the Pacers won 122-114. The Dinals fall to 16-21. and Time once again now for our shot of the week. God damn it. Four! Here's Gerard playing very well today. Par 3-6 hole, he puts it on the green, rolling it right toward the stick. He'll be in a very short break, but what a shot. RICOM, passionate people who turn complicated business problems into simplified technology solutions. For public and private sector real estate, properties, portfolios, and enterprise customers. Optimize and future-proof smart buildings from the ground up. The latest in fault locating, base building network design, Managed services, cybersecurity, data analytics. Our fault detection will support all smart strategies, define projected outcomes for capital planning, and reduce environmental impact. RICOM, smart protection solutions. At RICOM, we're building a path to a smart and environmentally friendly future. All the folks who make this show possible, these are friends, trusted business associates, and all-around great people, thank you for your support of Canadian and local sports. A reminder that the show is available on iTunes, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and Pocket Cast, as well as the Spanglish Network and Zingo TV and Buzz TV Live. Also, want to check out our YouTube channel. Past shows are available there. We've got weekly sportscasts, all kinds of cool segments. Like and subscribe. It's absolutely free. Thanks once again to Grant Fuhr for dropping by. It was a joy to have him. And thank you for watching. We'll see you next time. Brian Gribben Insurance Planning. 
helping you solidify your financial future. At BGIP, what we do that's unique in the marketplace is we show people how to spend and enjoy their money in their early years of retirement without fear of running out. Also, we're able to do this without you having to change financial advisors. Please look us up at bgip.ca today. Let's book a 30-minute phone call to see how we can bring value to you and your family and your planning. Call Brian today for all your retirement needs. We did. 905-686-5678. Do you want to buy or sell a home? Could 31 years of real estate experience help you? Why not speak to an amazing team that loves to overpromise and overdeliver? Aldo has a tremendous team of experts on staff. They are committed to making your next real estate transaction smooth and comfortable. Call 416 Get Aldo or visit getaldo.com. MNP, a leading Canadian national accounting, tax, and business accounting firm. MNP proudly serves in response to the need of their clients in the private, public, and nonprofit sectors. Through partner-led engagements, MNP provides a collaborative, cost-effective approach to do business and personal strategies to help people and organizations to succeed across the country and around the world. With local offices in Oshawa, Mississauga, Burlington, and more, their team is here to support you. Visit mnp.ca today to learn more.